What's up, guys? It's your boy, Johnny Bananas, and I'll be covering all the treachery, deceit, backstabbing, and murder from season two of The Traders U.S. on my podcast, Death, Taxes, and Bananas. I'll be joined all season by my fellow castmates to swap stories, provide all the behind-the-scenes antics, and sordid details from filming. So sally forth and join me for season two of The Traders every Saturday on the Ringer Reality TV podcast feed. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. And welcome back to Guilty Pleasures on Ringer Dish. I'm Jody Walker. She is Chelsea Stark-Jones. And we are here today to kick off what I would call the inaugural true crime doc episode of Guilty Pleasures. We are going to talk about the harrowing miniseries from Netflix that Chelsea and I both completely independently of each other <laughs> binged on the same day called American Nightmare and we're completely shocked by, and a much older, much longer told true crime story in the form of Gypsy Rose Blanchard herself. Chelsea, how you doing? I'm doing great. I, you know, it, it really touched my soul when I sent the email saying that I binged American Nightmare and you replied with, I did too. I was like, wow, Jody and I, we are connected in television so deeply from our Bravo love to our true crime obsession. We well, are and it was heartwarming TV for, sisters. We are TV sisters, but I don't... What's your relationship with true crime, Chelsea? Because I don't think... I maybe, you know, I myself just made a satirical true crime podcast here on the Ringer Network. I'm not sure what your relate. I was kind of surprised to see that you had binged it. Is this an area of expertise for you I've been missing or was this kind of a, a dip into the unknown? Yeah, I think it's something you've been missing. Um, I'm so sorry. I loved, this is so I loved, revealing. <laughs> I loved, um, I think my first entry point was probably Snapped on, what is it, WeTV. Uh, oh, wow. Loved that series. <laughs> um, and, you know, like the typical Dateline, 20, like 2020 mystery type stuff. I love a good Netflix scammer pod. What was it? The Tender Swindler, stuff like that. And your girl loves a thriller novel. So these types of things really get me going. 
I love a thriller too. And I was thinking about that in, in thinking about doing this uh, true crime doc episode of Guilty Pleasures that I love thrillers. I love psychological thrillers. That's like really kind of what you're dealing with with a true crime documentary, a true crime podcast is a sort of IRL thriller. But then that's when you get into like a little moral hot ground, you know, like a little bit, <laughs> what are we doing here? And I actually feel like, you know, we're kind of, I feel like every every week on Guilty Pleasures, we're kind of like litigating what a guilty pleasure is. But <laughs> I feel like with true crime documentaries, it's really like the final frontier of guilty pleasures, you know, because we've had the conversation. It's like reality TV it's not, you know, we can call it a guilty pleasure, but there's nothing to feel guilty about. Like, we know what the function of reality TV is now. It's like sports. Like, it brings community. It brings camaraderie. It's like a way to, it's a way to look in a mirror. It's a microcosm. It's like all these interesting things. True crime, I think, is all these interesting things as well. But we're sort of more like in the midst of the, the ultimate guilty pleasure question, which is like, am I allowed to enjoy this? Yeah, I feel like it's the hardest one to explain and validate why you have a fandom for it because it is such a, well, one, real, uh, dark stories, uh, tragic, but I don't know why I just am so drawn to these stories. I don't know. Like I've heard theories of, specifically as women, like mostly women are drawn to this. Is it because we watch it for clues on what not to do out in social settings for like red flags or whatnot? But I find them to be so interesting and touching in a lot of ways when we learn about these victims, if, especially if they're done correctly. Um, yeah, I, I love a good, love a good true crimer. And I think like in terms of, I'll see where you land, but of like done correctly and took some really interesting narrative twists and turns is this three-part docuseries that we both watched on Netflix called... American Nightmare. And I think I'll just give a warning here in the beginning, especially for American Nightmare, that we will be exploring some spoiler territory. And a lot of times I'm like, I don't really care about spoilers. It's not going to wreck anything for me. There's a twist in American Nightmare that, that I almost want to spoil for people because the twist is you kind of think you're getting into something like salacious and wild and like, oh, this is this is so crazy and these people are crazy. And then the twist is that it is completely emotionally devastating. Yeah. Would you, you know, say? Will, yes. And I will never tell someone to turn off a Ringer podcast, but in this moment, if you have not watched American Nightmare, pause this podcast, watch it, and then come back for a nice companion uh, talking episode of it to like debrief you because it is worth, like you don't want to be spoiled by what what is to come in this docuseries. And I initially was like, I'm going to turn this on. I'm going to watch one episode and I'm going to go to bed. No, one turned to two, turned two turned to three. It was like, and then I was like, I still need more. I went on the internet. Like you need to watch it first before you could fully divulge and appreciate what is about to be spoken about because it was such an exhilarating journey and ups and downs, ups and downs. Huge ups and downs. And I love a, like, I've never had a unique experience in my life kind of moment because I had I did the exact same thing, which is like, I'll watch one episode. This looks interesting. And that, it's a three-part series. The first episode is tonally and narratively very different than the second two episodes. And I imagine, like myself, you may have been drawn in by the trailer. I haven't had, like, a full Netflix 
binging weekend in a long time. And this weekend, they were, every time they previewed a show after the next show, I was like clicking on it. I was like, I'm watching, I'm watching. So I watched a lot of good stuff on Netflix and American Nightmare was my entry point. And the entry point is that the trailer for American Nightmare is a lot about like, this is the real life Gone Girl. So it's the true story of Denise Huskins and her then boyfriend, Aaron Quinn. Um, Aaron calls the police hours after an alleged abduction of his girlfriend, Denise. The story is crazy. It's like he woke up to like strobe lights. He woke up to the sound of a taser. Someone put headphones on his ears. Men in scuba suits. Men in scuba suits. Men who are divulging that they're in scuba suits because Aaron and his girlfriend, Denise, are, according to Aaron, immediately blindfolded with swim goggles that are covered in duct tape. And the men who are talking are like, oh, sorry, we're moving kind of slow because we're in scuba suits. It's very conversational. (laughs) And this whole story that Aaron is telling, it's hard to buy because it's like, it's... A lot of what's going on in this alleged abduction is so unnecessary. It's like, there's there's no, it's a, it seems dramatic. It seems for show. And that's the kind of gone girl of it all is when, you know, Ben Affleck is showing the police around his house and in the novel, Nick Dunn, it's like, mm, this looks like an abduction, but it doesn't smell like an abduction. It smells like a different kind of crime. Were you, yeah. uh, were you buying Aaron's story? Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Um, No, but then at the same time, it's like, how crazy could one be to cook up something so random and weird? It just was like, yeah, from the goggles with the tape inside to the scuba mask to the strobe lights to the getting them drunk off a NyQuil. Like, it just felt like so many crazy things where it was like, it sounds so random that it has to be true. But it can't be. And I sound like Robin Dixon trying to explain away Juan Dixon's mistress in the hotel room. Like, it's so crazy. They're like, there's no way he's lying. It has to be true. But it was. I was like, how in the world is this story possible? But like, who can make this up? Well, and then there's the, I want to say, you know, and it's easy to say this in retrospect, but the whole time I was watching episode one, I was kind of like, this story sounds unbelievable, but I was buying Aaron's, you know, and everyone there's, it's like the, it's like the age old thing in, in, in true crime It's like everyone responds to trauma differently. Everyone responds to grieving differently. Oh, but there's one moment where let's get into fucking Matt Mustard. So if, if uh, American Nightmare is anything, it is an indictment on the Vallejo police department. Like it is this investigation is an absolute wreck from the moment it starts. And it seems to be because they get on this kick that this sounds just like Gone Girl and they can't (laughs) let go of it. And I get it, you know? Sometimes on these podcasts, sometimes in my articles, it's like I get on a kick and no one's on it with me. You know, it's just like I'm I'm creating some analogy that no one is on board with. And that is what this detective Matt Mustard, every time they say Matt Mustard in this documentary, I giggled. It's such an absurd name. Yeah, I thought of a hot dog. But you know what? It's like, 
he th- this police department was so despicable. They were like 30-something-year-old stay-at-home moms that just like got hooked on this book and this movie and was like, this has to be it. Like I was like, where where did any of your police training go? Did it just go all out the window when you like you're like, oh, this is great. This is going to make me a star. Like the um the one officer that did all the press conferences and stuff like that. I was like, these guys are just loving the camera time. They are just reveling in this attention. And I will say to your point about um, Aaron was, yeah, I thought that the story was crazy. It didn't make any sense, but he did seem believable in his retelling of the story and his, um, his whole demeanor of everything happening. He seemed very like honest about his ex. So it was just like, maybe he, there is some truth to this, but it was just so crazy that just like how we got here was just like, that was the unbelievable part. But his reaction to everything after the fact, I was like, he seems really genuine. He does seem genuine. And ultimately this data point could go towards him being, you know, guilty of having to do with this or not guilty of having to do with this. But this man does not ask for a lawyer forever. <laughs> I was like, my guy, they're tearing you apart. Matt Mustard made you think of a hot dog. It obviously made me think of Clue, Colonel Mustard, you know, oh. in the living room talking <laughs> a bunch I was of hungry. bullshit. Yeah, maybe you were hungry because you kept staying up all night. Um, he says, I mean, he he basically says to Aaron, as Aaron is telling this, you know, admittedly pretty unbelievable story, he's like, my job is to listen to all of this, come up with a suspect, and then say, and I quote, okay, so how do I make it so you look like a monster? It's like, Mr. Mustard, you're saying the quiet part out loud. If that's what you're doing, don't say it. And also, I could not believe that at that point, Aaron was not like, okay, and now I would like to ask, now that you're making me a monster, I would like to go ahead and ask for my lawyer. But it was really gratifying once he does finally ask for a lawyer that it just shuts the other guy. I mean, there are so many like despicable, like villainous uh, detectives in this story. Can't even keep track of them all, but it's a, it's a different detective. And it's just, you know, he has to shut up and leave the room once, once Aaron calls for a lawyer. And then I guess that sort of brings us to the twist. I really love how they did this. At first, I felt a little duped by the American Night Girl Nightmare trailer. And then once the sort of, twist is revealed, but I really liked that in this three-part series, they did what I would call an inverse Gone Girl. So did you read the, did you read Gone Girl, Chelsea? I watched the film. I didn't read it. In the book, it's a little more evident that it's done in three parts. Part one is from the point of view of both the missing wife in the past tense and the husband in the current tense as he's going through this sort of investigation and we're sort of wondering if we can trust him or not, which is basically what they're doing in part one of American Nightmare. Part two of Gone Girl is then you catch up with the wife in present tense and realize that sort of everything you thought was true in part one wasn't true and that like she is probably the criminal mastermind here. Part three is sort of starting to question everything you thought you knew all over again. And maybe they're both just little American nightmares that are made for each other. In this documentary, you go through part one wondering what Aaron has to do with this, if he's guilty. And then in part two, you catch up with Denise in present day. 
after it's been kind of seeded that maybe she had something to do with this. Maybe this is Gone Girl. Maybe she kidnapped herself. Maybe she's colluding with the kidnappers. Maybe Aaron's innocent. I don't know. Then in part two, right, you start to find out that this is real, that she was abducted, and you're hearing from her in the present day, at which point the documentary, docuseries, becomes completely devastating because you're hearing about, like, the absolute hell that she went through. Yeah, yeah. I think, so what kept me watching was that, like, ring camera security video of Denise walking down the street in a baseball cap with a big duffel bag and walking towards this, like, uh, to her, what we learn is her father's condo or apartment with also a man trailing behind her, which never gets addressed. But I I was like, who's that man that is not far enough away, but very close to her. Um, And I was like, "Mm, gotta stay up and watch this. There's something here. And we see um, her, Denise, in present day on the camera, on camera. And I was like, wow. Like when Colonel Mustard said, it is you in the living room with a candlestick. I believed it. I thought he was going to turn Mr. Aaron into some type of monster and I was ready for it. However, once I saw Denise on camera in present day, I was like, oh, she's alive? Well, and there's also the question that like Colonel Mustard is also seeding, which is, did Denise have something to do with this? Because when you see that ring cam footage of Denise, she looks... I mean, I don't want to say guilty, but that is how it feels. You oh, know, she co- looks suspicious. She, she looks, looks suspicious. very suspicious. Come yes. to find out she's super drugged and like yeah. that is something that the police should be looking into. Um, but you bring up a good point, which is like my one complaint about American Nightmare is that we never find out what's going on with those duffel bags. Like Denise ultimately tells the story of how she is released back into the neighborhood where her father lives and we never find out what's in those duffel bags. Yes, we don't find out what's in the duffel bags. We also, we skipped over another part of this, which I think was also riveting, which threw us off for a loop too, was Andrea, um, Mm -hmm. Aaron's ex-fiance, ex-girlfriend, and their dynamic and relationship. This woman was brought in for questioning. We learn that the kidnappers meant to take Andrea and not Denise and that this whole thing went awry and that they just took Denise just in case. I don't, just, for collateral, who knows? And so I wanted to go back to Andrea. Of course, we wouldn't because these officers are idiots and question her again once we got Denise back. Like, why would they want you but over Denise? the other thing that we find out about Andrea or Andrea, is that she had previously dated the FBI investigator who is investigating Aaron and Denise and whether they had anything to do with this or if it's real. It's like a complete legal conflict of interest. And ultimately this, you know, will end with like a legal comeuppance for Aaron and Denise. But I do think that the docuseries treads like a really delicate line of making the story sound more salacious than it is in order to then flip it on its head. And the twist, as opposed to Gone Girl, the Gone Girl twist here is that it's true. And that yeah. Denise was was kidnapped by, as far as we know, as far as the story ends here, by one man um, who was a complete monster and kind of, 
got off on all of these dramatic details, the goggles and the and the music and the sort of the the confusion and that he wasn't really doing it for sort of like a ransom as it seemed at first. We don't ever really find out why Andrea or Aaron were targeted in the first place. Um, There are definitely still some lingering mysteries. Yeah, no, because even in the the interrogation of Aaron, the Colonel... (laughs) Detective Mustard. You don't have to show him respect. Yeah, Colonel Mustard. um, He asks Aaron, does Denise know about your finances? Like, they really started to go down this, like, financial. I was like, oh, is he rich? Like, what is, what's going on here? And we never do that. And as we learn more about this kidnapper, it doesn't seem like he goes after people with money. It just seems like he, he's an odd duck. I mean, he's awful. He's a, he is a monster. He's the monster. But yeah, there were, like, I really enjoyed the series, but there were things that I just didn't feel were correctly revisited and tied up to like fully understand, which maybe they did on purpose. But, but yeah, there were like, why, why them didn't make sense to me. Well, my assumption was that those were questions that were never answered. And those are answers that really come from the the ultimate, the, the kidnapper um, and sexual assaulter, Matthew Muller, um, who is ultimately caught. But, you know, I don't, we actually, we don't learn a ton about him. And I assume those answers kind of live and die with him. But what we do learn about in episodes two and three are Denise's story as she tells it. So she really gives like all of the harrowing details of what was happening while she was abducted, you know, how she, and like I, her, and maybe this was some true crime training. This happened in 2015, but like her ability to, she was like logging, you know, the twists and turns that the car was taking when she yeah. was in the trunk. Like she was logging all these details and her ability to retell this extremely like traumatizing and tragic story nearly 10 years later was pretty unbelievable. And, and, and then we also, once Denise, once we visit Denise in present day, we get sort of like a different angle on Aaron. And, you know, I was tracking. I noticed that Denise was wearing a wedding ring in her interviews. Yes, I was tracking that too. (laughs) Aaron was not wearing a wedding ring in his interviews. But then in part three, just like in Gone Girl, now we're getting their two stories together. They're on a couch together and they're both wearing wedding rings. And I really think that like the most unbelievable twist of this is that these two stayed together and really went through all of this together once Mm -hmm. Denise is returned by her abductor after experiencing terrible sexual assault, which is, you know, a a bit of a, a bit of a tire squeal in the, in watching the docuseries is that you kind of go from this like gone girl storyline, did the guy do it to like, oh, true crime is crime and it's awful. And this is, this is really difficult to watch, to listen to, but it's also, it's important. It's, you know, it's this woman's story. And to find out that once she came back and when everyone is against them, the Vallejo Police Department is putting out into the press that they planned this kidnapping for 
God knows what reason they're trying to say that they planned the kidnapping. Yeah. Um, and that it's all a hoax. Losing, you know, they can't go to their jobs because they're so traumatized, but they're also, they're, they're, um, they're physicians' assistants, right? They're PAs. Yeah, I think, or like uh, physical therapists. Oh, they're or PTs. Like they're physical yeah. therapists. Yeah, and um, that they, you know, it's kind of like the silver linings that they go through it together, and they at least have each other, and they have their families, and they have the true hero of this documentary. They have Misty, who is a detective, and like just like a great. TV, like I genuinely feel like she could be in season four of True Detective. Like, oh this. yeah, she she gave like actor energy. I was like, yes. oh, she's straight out of Central Casting. Loved Misty. <laughs> Amazing. She's like, I'm ready for my spotlight, but only because I deserve it. You know, I yeah. wasn't seeking it. I'm just actually a really incredible detective. Yeah, I actually care about the victims in in these cases. So she is following several different leads of women who have been abducted, women who have been assaulted, peep, uh, like a peeping Tom in a neighborhood. And one of those leads gets her to the cabin of Matthew Muller, who is a Harvard law grad and was a practicing lawyer until I guess like his, his mental health so extremely declined that he was not. And while at this uh, cabin that shows like obvious evidence of terrible things having happened there, she finds a pair of goggles with one blonde hair on it. And she is determined to find who this blonde hair belongs to because what the Vallejo police have seen as obvious signs of like, this couldn't have ever happened, she sees as a sign of something terrible and eventually tracks it back to Denise and Aaron. It's just, it's unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And like, I want to go and revisit some of the stuff that happened once uh, Denise was returned home. One being that when she hires a lawyer, they immediately believe her story and they ask the police, the Vallejo Police Department for her to be able to take a rape kit test in which the police department declines and says only if she gives us a statement first, which was despicable to me and, and completely and illegal. Yeah. It, so irresponsible. And yeah, I mean, her strength was just so harrowing to, harrowing to me and I really appreciated it. And, you know, Jody, I think you know me well enough to know that I am not afraid to slide into a few people's DMs. And after the episode, I found, her on, I found her what on Instagram. I DMed uh, her. Oh, what'd you say? Um, I said, thank you for sharing your story. Your strength is astonishing or something along those lines, because it really was something as I was watching it. And as we saw her throughout the family that they have now, two daughters, I was like, wow. Like, and I, I did tear up when he was like, you know, I want my, my daughters to have her strength. It was just so Oh, I'm going to tear up. You know me, Chelsea, yeah. and you know, I am tearing up just listening to you recount the final scenes. <laughs> <laughs> where they slowly reveal that they have two toe-headed daughters yes. who look just like their mom. And and Aaron, yeah, like you said, saying that he just, all he hopes for his daughters is that they end up like they're, um, oh, oh, you got to take over. I'm going to start crying. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so touching and it was so beautiful. And like, and and it just showed, like, I'm sure she's gone through countless hours of therapy to get to where she's at now, but it was 
I mean, it truly was insane. It was so disappointing to see how poorly she was treated throughout all of this. And they get their vindication because this monster wants credit for his kidnapping. That's what I think, where it's like similar to serial killers who like want to take credit for what they did and to be the, you know, have that spotlight. This man did not appreciate the fact that everyone thought that they were making this up and that he wasn't getting the credit for what he did. When he was sending, I guess, tips or note whatever into um, the San Francisco of, Chronicle. The San Francisco Chronicle. And even when this journalist went to take it to the police department, they were still discounting it. So much so that this man was like, I will prove to you that I did it. I will do it to another woman. And that to me is just it, like, it's so disheartening where it's like we do count on our police departments, our officers and whatnot to like be there for us and whatnot. And and our journalists to have strong journalistic integrity and stuff like that. And it's like, even when people were doing the right thing, they still chose to do the wrong thing and not even look into like these leads and whatnot. And it was just so disappointing and heartbreaking that another young girl had to go through a kidnapping. Another family had to experience this because a dumbass Vallejo police department didn't feel like they they thought they got their gone girl case and they were done done doing anything about it which is how detective misty ended up on the case is that he kept going when once she's on the case and investigating it and starting to connect it back to denise she calls the vallejo police department and they just just doesn't get an answer and when she finally does they're basically like take it up with the fbi let's not forget the fbi agent on the case has a conflict of interest with the case. And which, so ultimately, the 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 happy, there's kind of a, a dual happiest ending possible. One is that Aaron and Denise are together. They have a lovely family. They're healing. The other is that they sue the Vallejo Police Department for $2.5 million, um, which, frankly, I think they deserve a oh, lot yeah. more uh, than that. Triple, quadruple, yes. But I think also something that I've been reflecting on about American Nightmare. And as I think about, like, true crime documentaries as a guilty pleasure and that question of, like, am I allowed to find this entertaining? I think something we've gotten to as, like, a society who enjoys true crime is that the more you can focus on humanizing the victims and the survivors and telling their stories, mm-hmm. the better. And the less you can focus on like, oh, look how interesting and crazy this, you know, sociopathic person is. And we really, and it's and it's pushing my limits of being curious. We really learn very little about this guy, Matthew Muller. And we really learn so much about Denise and Aaron and yeah. their experience. So like, I do feel like that was really well done. Well, also, you know, the sick part of me being like, who's this sick fuck and like, what, like what's going on with why him? Why did he do, I, I do it? Want it? Why did he do it? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. It was, it was really, you know, in a lot of ways, I don't want to say honoring, but just like highlighting again, her strength and everything that she's gone through and to Aaron as well, like him standing by her and then creating this beautiful family with one another. Do you believe there are other kidnappers involved in this scheme? Because I they, Aaron did say there were multiple people there when that man took her. Um, and she also said she heard other voices when she was in that Lake Tahoe cabin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess we can get in a theory corner a little bit here. Yeah. And let, here, 
I don't want to question Aaron and Denise. My assumption from them finding a blow-up doll wearing what could have been construed as a scuba suit in Matthew Muller's cabin or car at his cabin was that he was faking it being multiple Mm. people because he is the only person that Denise ever interacts with while she is um, being held captive at his cabin. But he seems to be really insistent upon telling her that there are multiple people, that this is a multiple person operation. And my assumption, just from what I've heard, as a sort of, you know, Vallejo County caliber detective myself, is that, like, he w- he's doing that because he wants it to seem like a big operation. It's kind of like an ego thing, and he's yeah. getting something out of it. He makes sure to tell um, the San, Fran- San Francisco Chronicle, Chronicle uh, journalist that... It's a multiple person operation, and it's just it's like what's the operation? Because yeah. what yeah. we he never gets any money. What we it it really just seems to be a rape fantasy, which we find out from his other his other previous sexual assaults is kind of like toying with the idea of sexually assaulting someone until they sort of like you know beg for him not to, and then he like grants mercy. I mean, it's just really sick. Yeah, and um. The, so I don't know. What do you what do you, what do you think? I think you've persuaded me to think that it was just a solo operation. Um, yeah, I just I and I do appreciate like them not focusing on him and giving him any more attention than he deserved. Um, but there is just so many of the whys that I think only he could answer. And I'm curious if because they were so slapdash in the investigation prior, if they continued on to that afterwards, and if they didn't get those reasons why, why was he targeting Andrea? Why was he targeting Aaron? Like, how did he target his victims? Because they were all random. They ne- like None of his victims knew him. They were all break-ins. The peeping Tom, like peeping into other people's homes and stuff like that. So I am curious, like, why, why? and why he went for specific targets. And even when they put the headphones on and the and the kidnapping of Aaron and Denise, the sound had their names in it. The what they heard was customized to to Aaron. It said Aaron's name. So was there a personal connection there that we just aren't privy to? Like was he stalking this Aaron and Andrea for a while? Like I there's just those are things that I just want to know and like and I would feel so angry being Denise, I'm sure she's gone through every emotion there is, but just knowing that this wasn't meant for me and that I had to experience this, it would have, that would have broke me. Like, oh yeah. And the very, like, while the story was still being told in a sort of like, ooh, maybe it's gone girl sort of way. I had the thought that what, because a problem in their like present relationship was that Aaron kept talking to his ex, even Mm -hmm. when Denise didn't want him to. And when, I mean, it, my petty ass, if I found out that, that not only had he been still talking to his ex, but that his, that his relationship to his ex got me kidnapped. I just did not see them still being together. Coming. That same, okay, did not same. see that coming. And I was like, they must be soulmates. And I guess this is what 
true love looks them. like. <laughs> that, like yeah. yeah, this is true love and I'm not capable of it. No. I was like, uh-uh. Like, I was happy, obviously. I was like, oh, this is a cute family. They love each other. But I was like, I don't know if I would have ended up there. Uh-uh. In every way, she was and is a stronger woman than I. So I think, yes. you know, Chelsea and I, would recommend, we did advise that you go ahead and, but you know, true crime isn't for everyone and sometimes people kind of want spoilers on it. As for some true crime that you basically can't avoid right now, that's a that's a segue alert to, um, as Chelsea keeps referring to her as my girl, well, she keeps saying my girl gyps, which yeah. I don't, uh, yeah, yeah. My girl gyps. <sighs> This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Chelsea's girl, Gypsy Rose Blanchard. And th- this story is the opposite of American Nightmare, which, which for me came out of nowhere. I think you would probably only know about it maybe if you live in that area of California. But Sasha, our producer, was saying she lives in that area of California. She had no idea about that story. I personally have been following Gypsy Rose's story since the moment it became public. I read the like 10,000 word piece, maybe longer, on BuzzFeed News, RIP, um, by journalist Michelle Dean, which I just remember being absolutely rocked by. The headline I'm revisiting now was, Dee Dee wanted her daughter to be sick, Gypsy wanted her mom murdered. And I dare you to resist a headline like this. This is like a truly sensational story. It's probably the most famous case of Munchausen by proxy, um, other than Misha Barton's storyline in The Sixth Sense, uh, which is, of course, a fictional case of Munchausen by proxy. It is much realer, much more guilty pleasure true crime uh, here when it's a real case. And so it's... um, I don't know. I like do do we need to explain who Gypsy Rose Blanchard is? Is this like common knowledge by this point? I think it's common knowledge because I unlike you did not know or follow Gypsy back in the day. Um I was completely I was on vacation and all of a sudden I see all these Instagram posts about some girl named Gypsy Rose Blanchard and I was like, who is this woman? Like why are people so enamored with this woman. And I just didn't get it. So then I come back, uh, come back home. I see that she, um, 
I get a little bit more insight into her story, Munchausen by proxy. I was like, hmm, interesting. And I didn't care to dig any deeper. But then I saw a clap back that she had on her Instagram story that I, or on her Instagram posts or whatever, that I just had to learn more about this woman. And what'd you see? It was her commenting back or captioning something on her Instagram saying that y'all haters are just mad because his D is rocking my world. And I was like, I need to know more about this woman named Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Give it to me. So I watched the Lifetime thing. I signed up for Lifetime. I was like, gotta, gotta know more about this woman. And I was, I was like, wow, this is an interesting story. And, you know, obviously she did something horrible, which was set up the hit on her mother with her ex-boyfriend that she met on a Christian dating site. Um, (laughs) But I was rooting for her. Like, and I am rooting for her. I want her to live a happy life. I feel like so much of her life was taken away by her mother. And yes, murder is never the answer. But I want her to continue to get her world rocked. And (laughs) I think she deserves it. It's a complicated story uh, for a lot of reasons. It's also so interesting for me to hear you refer to her as a woman because I think since, like, I've been with this story for so long, and also she's about our age, and it feels like, because I've been following it for quite a while, it feels like when the Harry Potter books were coming out and I was, like, aging up with them, it was like I was the same. It's like with... Gypsy Rose, I have been aging with her. And I also think of myself as a girl. Um, But like (laughs) thinking of, you know, so much of her story that we've heard and in like uh, scripted series, like um, the act with Joey King and Patricia Arquette came out fairly recently. There was the documentary called Mommy, Dead and Dearest on HBO in 2018. So much of what we've heard of her story is when she was a child and she was a victim of Munchausen by proxy from her mother, who she, who Gypsy has continued to come out and expose even more abuse from emotional abuse, physical abuse. Obviously, Munchausen by proxy is physical abuse, but also finding out things that like she, you know, chained her to the bed after she tried to get away. And I guess for anyone who isn't super familiar with the story, could kind of rattle off a few of the things that she underwent a while basically imprisoned by her mother who was continuing to downgrade her age um, and was, you know, giving her all these different birth dates in order to seek more medical care, in order to gain more attention, more money, more, in some ways, acclaim, which is basically what Munchausen by proxy is. Sasha asked us in the outline if we'd seen the um, Munchausen episode of Grey's Anatomy, which knowing you and I, Chelsea, we're probably more familiar with the Munchausen storyline from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yeah. But when I watched the, I, I hadn't seen the episode of Grey's Anatomy. When I watched a sort of, when I watched some clips from it, it's almost played like a comedy. Like it's like it's got like well, do, 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 do. like it is Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> it is Grey's Anatomy. But that's the thing is it's kind of like oh yeah, Munchausen is all well and good where you're pre- pretending that you are sick. Munchausen by proxy is where you're quite literally making someone else sick so yeah. that 
like Gypsy, her mom was making her use a wheelchair to pretend that she had a muscular disorder and that she couldn't walk when she really could walk. She was saying that she had leukemia and shaving her head to further that narrative. She was running into a lot of doctors who were not asking enough questions or were asking the wrong questions as is kind of exposed in the Lifetime docuseries so that she had her salivary glands removed, which is a reason that she lost a lot of her teeth and is still missing that, you know, those are adult teeth. Um, She got a feeding tube, which they say in the documentary is like one of the biggest signs of Munchausen, can be one of the biggest signs of Munchausen by proxy, because once they're on a feeding tube, you can really control what medicine you're giving them, if you're poisoning them, what, if they're, if you're starving them, if you're feeding them. I mean, it's just really awful. The complicated part of the Gypsy Rose story, and I think a lot of the reason that it continues to be a news story and that her getting out of prison was this sort of like news pop culture event is that she is both victim and perpetrator in that she, as you said, met this, this man, uh, who ultimately killed her mom. And she did not, she did not personally kill her mom, but she did play a part in it, which she has copped to in while in, while in jail and also out of jail and, rather iconically on The View, where she is trying to say that she did have play a part in her mom's death, and there is some confusion over it, and it's just a really classic View moment, frankly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, and it, it it is tough, like, watching everything that she had to endure as a child... And all the people that failed her um, throughout, whether it be the doctors, whether it be even her own family members, um, her we learned stuff about her grandfather in the Lifetime documentary about sexual assault there and relatives and cousins that saw that would see Gypsy walking and being a normal child. But as soon as her mother came around she would fall or her mom would put her in the wheelchair and make her not play with the children. And it's like, why weren't the adults stepping in there? Why weren't they saying that? I thought it was interesting. I think another part of the story that I really find um, fascinating is her relationship with her father and her stepmother as well Mm -hmm. and how, how much she really relies and leans on them today when... and. In some, like, it's hard. I understand, like, how they didn't see things because her mother purposefully moved them out of New Orleans, disassociated them, or Louisiana, disassociated her from their family and isolated her pretty much. So, like, I could see how he didn't think much of what was going on and believed believed the mother, but it was really, it is heartbreaking. And, but to see them now have this, like, seemingly good and healthy relationship that they are of a support system to her. I love their Creole accent. It, like I was Oh my gosh, the it. Louisiana accents in yes. this Lifetime docuseries are an absolute feast for the ears. The stepmom, I'm just like, keep talking. Keep talking, honey. Like She's I the celebrity it. to me. Like oh, she's the superstar. icon. Yes. And, and you really hear a lot from her dad and her stepmom about the things that they regret, the, the steps they wish they'd taken. But you also hear about steps that they were taking. Like, you know, the stepmom was searching for months um, after Hurricane Katrina, trying to find them. And, and Dee Dee was, you know, not, responding, like not giving any word to them that they'd made it out. And 
that, you know, there, there definitely are details in the Lifetime docuseries that were like completely new to me as someone who has followed the story. I'm curious from you, Chelsea, how much you've followed the story now. So, so this entire docuseries was filmed with these interviews with Gypsy Rose were over the course of 18 months before yep. her parole hearing. And every episode sort of starts with a clip of her when she's 24 hours before her parole hearing. Um, and ultimately, the series ends with her getting out of prison on parole and also meeting her now husband, Ryan, which is, you know, a, a, a twist. We've been talking a lot about twists. A true crime doc and docuseries has to have a twist. And the twist here is that Gypsy Rose got married while she was in prison. And it's also a twist to the production company. She's been keeping it from the Lifetime production. Am I insane to say that Ryan seems okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, okay, so I have not really been following the story very well outside of prison. It's like, I, you know, I haven't, I mean, he, I, I do, think, he, do, he does seem supportive. He does seem like all those things. I just always question someone like l- that writes into a person in prison and like... And especially wants, when the he, impetus for writing is because his friend said, I want to write Tiger King. And he said, okay, well, then I'll write Gypsy Rose. Yeah, like, so I don't think he's fully okay, but he seems like a decent enough man. I don't But I also was like the stepmother. I was like, Gypsy... Wait a minute. Don't Don't get get married. married. Come out into the world. See what it's like. Experience a little bit. Like, and then decide if you want to get married. You don't have to get married right away. Like, what what do you need? And I think she so wanted to fall in love and be in love based off of things that she said her mother would tell her was that she would never find love. So I think she was just so desperate for it. Put a voodoo curse on her. Put a voodoo curse on her. Yes. Buried a cow's heart in the backyard, a cow's (laughs) tongue in the backyard. So like she wanted to defy those curses, that voodoo. And so I, I see it, but I wish she would have not. I wish maybe just getting engaged, wait a little bit, and then decide if marriage is right for you. Because it's a lot. She wants to defy that curse, but then you're also seeing her repeat these patterns that you've seen come directly from the trauma of her childhood. So she, you know, falls in with this guy, Nick Godijan, because she's looking for a Prince Charming to save her because her mom has pitched her this sort of Disney princess morality her whole life. And it's clear from the docuseries, there are kind of, I think, two warring minds on Gypsy Rose. One is that it's clear from this docuseries that she has done a lot of therapy while Mm -hmm. in prison. And one of the wildest things you hear her say is that, like, the happiest moment of her life is when she arrived to prison and went out to the lunch tables and she's never felt more free. Yeah, that so was she, heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. She yeah. she literally, as her family says, went from one prison to another, but she really seems to have this, like, appreciation for her jail time. And she says that, like, yeah, 10 years seems like the right sentence and that was the right amount of time for her. It's like, okay, well, maybe this is, like, the one example of prison reform. Like, she she actually did seem to get something from that time. And she says, you know, if she had gone right into the real world from the prison that she was in with her mother, she would have been completely unequipped. 
in this time in jail, she was able to go to regular therapy, trauma therapy, and you can really tell the evidence of that. There's yeah. also this sort of like seedy storyline um, that's, that's you know, was in the act, was in Mommy, Dad, and Dearest, was in the original BuzzFeed News article, that she was taught manipulation and deceit by her mother. And she's an expert in it as well because it's what she was raised under. And we, you know, see this in generational trauma all the time. Yeah, because her mother was also taught a level of deceit through her her mom is what we've learned as well. So it was passed yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, you and I are watching Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. We've seen three generations of, of and it's so, it's, it's real. And I think a lot of where this like, you know, looky-loo interest comes in is like, is the other shoe going to drop? Is like something going to come out that, you know, she and Ryan are up to something or whatever. And I, I don't really find myself very fascinated with that. Um, I kind of just hope that she can like, that they can live an okay life together or apart. I almost yeah. would prefer apart, <laughs> but it's, a. Uh, it's a weird and winding story and it's not done. Like it's, it's, it's not, not. Done. and I think we're going to get more from the Lifetime series as well. It seems like they're going to continue like they're continuing filming or that they are filming right now, unsure, but I am going to follow. I have not I have not followed her on social I was media just yet. Just going to have you DM'd her, Chelsea. I have not DM'd her. <laughs> Um, that's a relief, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) And I haven't followed her. I don't know why, like her, her, um, aesthetic is not for me, but I do like to go back on her Instagram every once in a while, check in on my girl gyps and see how she's doing. But I, it's not a, it's not a direct follow. No. Well, and I think that that's like a question that a lot of people who weren't familiar with the story or who are just you know, the haters, as Gypsy Rose referred to them, the haters. <laughs> the haters. Like, Why does this woman get out of prison immediately have 6 million followers on Instagram? She's up to 8.3 now. She has like 9 million followers on TikTok. She was on The View. I don't think anyone should have a question about why she was on The View. That is just like, that's a signature, that's a signature guest slot for her on The View. Was she on Kelly Clarkson? Like, she's she's doing the circuit. Lifetime is doing a good job plugging her where she needs to be plugged. She was on Vile Files. Like, yeah, she was on Vile Files. (laughs) I'm just like, I'm like, get that money, Gypsy, because she was robbed. She was robbed of a childhood and an adolescence that would give her any means to have a career now. She's coming out of prison. She's a very desperate circumstance to be in. She was robbed of a lot. Like like you said, she's about our age. So she lived most of her adolescence, even her early 20s, as in this Munchausen by proxy situation with her mother. And then she lived 10 years in prison. And it was sad also when she we meet, we meet her younger sister, who I think they said was about 10 years younger than yeah, her. Yeah, she's or 21 and Gypsy's 31. Yeah, and it's like, wow. And Gypsy says, like, in many ways, she is like my older sister. She has had so many more life experiences that I have not had yet. And it it's, yeah, she, she you know, what she did was horrible. How she did it was horrible. Lying about it was horrible. But... You know, she served her time. And I think her, you know, they did say like, was 10 years too long? Like, maybe. And she was in for eight. Her sentence was 10. She was paroled at eight. So, like, she served her time. And she served, I feel like, a full lifetime of, like, horrible stuff due to the hands of her mother as well. So, I don't know. Like, I do. I root for her. 
I want her to be happy. I will continue to watch this Lifetime stuff because I signed up for it. So (laughs) I was going to say, I don't know what the guilty pleasure the guilty pleasure podcast like uh, role in this is. I was going to say like we'll keep you abreast. You know, we'll keep you guys informed of what's going on in Gypsy Rose Corner. But it is it is certainly the guiltiest of pleasures to like continue to watch what Gypsy Rose is up to and Ryan, who I just want to say I was more okay than I expected from a person <laughs> who wrote in to Gypsy Rose and ultimately got married while she was still in jail. I was just, I think I was more taken by their uh, sort of like compatibility than I expected to be while also maintaining the right to completely turn that opinion around and find either one of them to just, I I just don't know what to expect. I don't know what to expect. So we'll, we'll let you guys know. We will. I'll be watching. We'll be watching as usual. Chelsea, is there anything else that you're watching right now, consuming through meme osmosis, have your eye on as a guilty pleasure going you know, into the next week? Not too much, actually. I have been on a TV hiatus. I haven't even been watching Bravo as much as I typically do. Just Salt Are you Lake. okay? What's going on? You okay? You, you know, Housewives just aren't giving it to me right now. Salt Lake's been delivering, but Potomac and Beverly Hills have not been. Miami's been good. Um, and I've been reading. So I, I'll say I'm reading a book called The Golden Couple. It is a guess considered a thriller, but a mystery, more so like suspense and mystery. Hell yeah. A stalker is involved, some oh, yeah. like salacious affairs, a uh, therapist that lost her license. So uh, that's, that's what's been keeping me afloat these last couple of days. Can't wait to watch the Lifetime movie of it. Sounds, I think it'd be a great, a great film. Yes. Sounds yes. perfect. <laughs> I will just plug what is Absolutely a prestige film just nominated for the foreign language Oscar. So like no no question about it. Not a guilty pleasure, except that I did watch it in this same Netflix binge. And it did have a similar vibe to me of like, oh, I'm about to watch something about cannibalism, crazy, and then completely devastating, which is Society of the Snow, uh, which is about the Uruguayan rugby team. Uh, that went down in the Andes in the 70s, which was a story I was familiar with. And however, I will say, like, as a f- big fan of Yellow Jackets, I went, which obviously draws on that story a lot for its narrative of a, of a girls' soccer team that goes down in the Alaskan woods. I kind of went into it thinking, like, oh, this is going to be a crazy story. And it is one of the most, like, harrowing, visceral films I've ever seen. It's incredibly done. The acting um, is incredible. I watched it dubbed with English. It's a Spanish-speaking film, but I would like to go back and watch it with subtitles to like really get the full performances. It's so good. But all, but it is one of these things where just like these things we've been talking about, we're calling it good almost feels wrong because it is it is such a difficult watch, but it's so good. So so would recommend. Maybe I'll watch it. I don't want to make myself sound dumb, but I have a hard time with subtitles. <laughs> but you can watch it dubbed on that, but you can watch it with English. And the, and the dubbing is good. The dubbing's good. Okay. Chelsea. It was okay, nominated okay. for an Oscar. An Oscar, Chelsea. You know, every, every 
year, I tell Several myself, Oscars, I'm actually. going to watch the Oscar nominated film so I could have an educated opinion on who wins what. And every year I don't. And so. this is the year you do it. <laughs> I can't wait to hear your educated opinion, not on the Guilty Pleasures podcast. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> And on that note, thanks so much for listening, everyone. We will be back next week with more Guilty Pleasures. Bye. Bye. 